Please turn with me in your Bibles now back to Acts chapter 11. We're returning to the same text that we considered together last week. Acts chapter 11, picking up here at verse 19, reading to the end of the chapter. Last week we focused upon this passage from a consideration of what Christ was doing in the text. We saw how Christ is really here, even though he has ascended on high, he is still ordering all of the affairs of his people. We saw how he is filling their hearts, he is directing their lives, and he is building their building his church. Well, this morning we're going to return to the same text to consider it uh, again as a whole, and we're really going to see it from the church's perspective. We're going to see what that work of Christ did among the people there in Antioch. And so we're going to actually see here in this text a wonderful picture of what it means to be in the world without being of it. So let's give our careful attention to the word of God. This is Acts chapter 11 verse 19 reading through the end of the chapter. This is the word of God. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the whole world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined every one according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Amen. This is the word of God. In John chapter 17, we have recorded for us what is commonly referred to as the high priestly prayer, Jesus' high priestly prayer. It is the longest prayer recorded of Christ. In that prayer, Jesus says to the Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. It is through these words that we get that language that we often hear of in the life of the church. That language that we are in the world, but not of it. Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And then he states one part of that description plainly. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. 
As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Christians, we follow in his footsteps. Jesus says, just as I was not a part of this world, just as I was not of this world, neither are they. They are set apart. They do not belong to this world. They belong to Christ's kingdom. But we also get the other part of that description from Christ's prayer. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And so putting these two ideas together, we have from Christ himself that description that we are to be in the world, but not of it. And my guess is that this idea, this phrase is not new to any of you. If you have spent any time within the church, you have likely heard this description many times. But what does it mean? And what does it actually look like for us as God's people to be in this world, but not of it? Well, here in the second part of Acts chapter 11, we have a beautiful picture of what it looks like. Here we have this idea embodied before us so that we might see what it looks like to be in this world without being of it. Now think about it. Back in John chapter 17, Jesus was praying for his people. He was praying for them to be in this world, but not of it. To be sent out into the world, but to remain distinct from it. And now, as we come into Acts chapter 11, we have a beautiful picture of Christ's prayer actually being answered in time and space. This is Christ's prayer on behalf of his people coming to life in the life of his people. And really, when we think about it, we should see that this text is not too different from our own experience in this world. We live in a culture that is rapidly growing, increasingly oppositional to the way of Christ or to Christ himself in this world. And so this text is quite preparatory for us to learn how it is that we can be in the world, but not of it. So let's consider together God's word. Here, our text opens with a description of how God's people were scattered because of persecution. It was because of their faithfulness to Jesus that they were driven out of their homes in Jerusalem, and they were forced into that sinful city of Antioch. But what happened when they fled? What happened through what Christ had ordained? Well, jumping to the end of the text, we see that these believers were now finally first recognized as Christians. What does this mean? Well, it means that these new believers, those who came to faith through the ministry of those who were forced into Antioch, these new believers through the ministry of the church talked about Christ, lived in a way that reflected Christ, They so radiated and glorified Jesus in their lives in Antioch that the unbelievers in that sinful city said, when we look upon these people, we see something that looks like Christ. And so that's what we want to consider together this morning. What does it mean to be in this world but not of it? How do we reflect Jesus Christ to a world lost in sin? Well, let's begin this morning by considering first their dependence. Again, we considered this text from another angle last week. Last week, we examined how Jesus was intimately involved in the lives of his people, despite the way that things may have seemed. From a human perspective, it would have been challenging for God's people to make sense of what King Jesus was doing when he allowed that Uh, persecution to break out and to drive them out of Jerusalem and into that sinful city in Antioch. 
And yet we saw last week that in it all, Jesus was directing the lives of his people. And we see that his people were walking by faith and not by sight. They were depending upon Christ. So let's examine their dependence in greater detail. In the providence of God, these believers found themselves suffering for their faith. It was because they were followers of Christ that they were forced to flee because of that persecution that broke out. And almost immediately, those new believers were facing a test of their faith. Would they trust in Christ when they suffered for their faith? Would they close their eyes to the way that their circumstances spoke of who they were, the temptations that might come uh, alongside? And would they instead, by faith, look to the good shepherd Jesus, who was orchestrating all things for their good? Well, as I noted last week, it was by the grace of God and because of the Spirit's work in them that these believers become a remarkable example of walking by faith. They were found in Antioch speaking of Jesus. Remember, it was because of their faith that they were forced to flee. But they came into Antioch, a sinful city, and they did not stop talking about Jesus. So how were these brothers and sisters able to do so? Well, it was because they were depending upon Christ. It was because they were living according to their God-given purpose. They understood that they were in this world but not of it. They were sent out into this world to represent the Lord Jesus Christ, to carry upon their tongues the good news of Christ. And here in our text, Barnabas encourages these believers to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose because he sees that they are, in fact, already living according to that God-given purpose. So here we see so clearly one aspect of what it means to be in this world but not of it. It means to depend upon God by submitting to him and in his providence in our lives while at the same time being steadfast in that purpose that God has assigned to all of us. Well, there's actually one more aspect of this dependence that we find here, and it's found in that exhortation of Barnabas. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. What do those words teach us? Well, these words teach us that to depend upon the Lord as we live in this world, it will require uh, perseverance. To be in this world but not to be of it will require of us as God's people to persevere. At this point, it is an exciting time for God's people. Some of them have come from Jerusalem and spoke of Christ. Others came to faith because of the way they were speaking. And then Barnabas sees this amazing work of God's grace among them. And he seizes that opportunity to prepare them to be pilgrims along the way. He seizes this opportunity to call upon them and to prepare them for the need of perseverance. There will be temptations along the way to be unfaithful. There will be temptations that come that seek to turn them out of the way of following Christ. But Barnabas says, you need to depend upon Christ in order to persevere. Now, several of us have read recently together John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And if you have not yet read this book, I want to encourage you to do so. If it would be helpful to you to read it with others, let me know. 
This book is so very helpful because it paints a very realistic picture of the Christian life. It portrays the journey so very well. Well, toward the end of the book, Christian, he's traveling at this point with Hopeful, and their eyes are upon the celestial city. But then suddenly their eyes fall from the celestial city. They are almost there. They're almost to the River Jordan. And at this point in the book, their eyes fall, and Christian looks down upon the narrow path upon which they walk. Again, his eyes fall from the celestial city to the path. And he begins to consider all of the various difficulties of walking the path. And in considering those difficulties, he sees another path. He sees that there is another path running along the way, and it is an easier way. Now remember, Christian has now walked with Christ for quite a long time, and it's toward the end of his pilgrimage that his eyes fall from his destination to consider his path. And it is in that moment that he is tempted by an easier way. He fails to investigate where that path leads. He assumes that it will run right alongside the path, and he is deceived into taking it. Well, Christian and Hopeful then fall asleep in that place of ease, and they are taken by, um, they are taken to Doubting Castle, and there they suffer because they left the way. Well, that imagery is put there in the book by Bunyan to teach us that we need to depend upon Christ for the entirety of the journey. That even if we have walked with Christ for decades, there will still come temptations that seek to turn us out of the way, and we need to always depend upon Christ. Bunyan tells us the point of that illustration, saying it is easier to stay on the path than to try to get back on it. Well, that is why Barnabas is here in our text, preparing these believers to persevere. This is why he is teaching them now in the early stages of the Christian life to depend entirely upon Christ. That is why he exhorts these new believers to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. We considered this in greater detail last week, but remember, it is that purpose, that God-given purpose that Christ assigns to us as his people that is intended to guard and to keep us in the Christian journey. We are, as we even heard this morning, to seek first the kingdom of God with all of our days in this life. So this is one aspect of what it looks like to be in the world, but not of it. Here, God's word teaches us to depend upon God by trusting in him no matter what his hand of providence brings us and by focusing upon that God-given purpose for us. Well, there's more. So second, let's consider their discipleship. Their discipleship. Notice what happens next. After Barnabas comes and initially encourages and exhorts these new believers, he does something else. Thinking upon these believers and his exhortation to them to remain steadfast, he leaves. And he goes and he finds Saul. He goes to Tarsus and he finds Saul, who later becomes the apostle Paul. He searches and finds him there in Tarsus and he brings him back to Antioch. And here we see another aspect of what it looks like to be in the world but not of it. 
In the Great Commission, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Discipleship requires teaching and learning. To be a a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ means to study his word and to be a lifelong disciple of Christ. And we see the beginnings of that discipleship here in Antioch. First of all, notice the necessity of this discipleship. Barnabas has come to see these believers. He has been overjoyed by the grace of God among them, but in exhorting them to remain faithful to the Lord, he sees a need. He sees a need among these new believers, and that need is for a foundation to be laid. And that foundation is the foundation of God's word. And so we see Barnabas being intentional to go find Saul to bring him back so that they might then spend an entire year teaching and learning together from the word of God. Second, notice the wisdom and humility here modeled by Barnabas. Barnabas recognized that he was not exactly the man for the job. He did what he could and what he was sent for to encourage these saints, but he also saw that he needed help. And so he went and he found Saul. He went and he found Saul and he brought him back so that he didn't have to go it alone. Instead, he brings Saul back with him. And then the two of them together spend a year in Antioch teaching. And so we see his humility and his wisdom to go and to find Saul, to provide the right kind of discipleship for the early church. And so third, notice that Barnabas, Saul, and these believers in Antioch They dedicate a significant amount of time and energy to teaching and learning. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is one aspect to the Christian life. They are dedicating a significant amount of time and energy to the teaching and learning of God's word. Now, likely their study is focused upon what those two disciples learned on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus walked with them and he opened the Old Testament and he unfolded for them about how the the whole thing was all about him. So we might imagine them studying the whole of the Old Testament together, finding Christ each step along the way. We might also think about how likely the Apostle Paul is here using the church in Antioch as a bit of a test case, if you will to prepare the different things that end up coming out in his letters later on to the various churches. This time in the life of the church in Antioch ought to teach us of the importance of teaching and learning in the life of the church. If we are going to be in the world but not of it, we need constantly to be teaching and learning. We need to be discipled according to the word of God. This discipleship is lifelong. This year that Saul and Barnabas spent in Antioch was something like a foundation, and the church was expected then to continue on with this teaching and learning here in the church. This ought to characterize the church in this world. We ought to always be examining the scriptures and going over them. We need God's word constantly at every stage along the way. 
Did you notice back when I read from Jesus' high priestly prayer, what was his prayer? Of those who were in the world but not of it, he said to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so the church ought to be marked by a constant dedication to discipleship, to teaching and learning the word of God. This year of teaching and learning reminds me of another scene from Pilgrim's Progress. Early in the journey, Christian is taken to the interpreter's house, and there he is shown seven seven different scenes that are meant to prepare him for the journey. He sees a scene of patience and passion, and he learns about the difference between those two things and the temptations that come from uh, passion and and the, the, the way in which he ought to walk patiently before God. We see a lesson about the law and the gospel and how it's applied to the Christian life. We see the necessity to find and to follow good gui- good and godly guides, and we see the promise of the Holy Spirit to sustain his people. Well, there Bunyan tells us that a Christian is to keep these lessons in mind because he will need them again and again and again until he reaches the celestial city. Well, then as you read the rest of the book, what do you see? Well, you see Christian relying upon those lessons at various times and in various ways throughout the book. It was that earlier foundation of discipleship that then allowed him and caused him to walk in God's way. Well, that is what we see here in Acts chapter 11. This is what the church is doing in dedicating themselves to discipleship. In Romans chapter 11, Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Those words teach us that the natural way of things, a simple, ordinary life lived in this world, it will conform you to this world. That's the default position that we have in this world. If we simply live in this world unaffected by the word of God, we will be conformed to it. And that is why Paul is so abundantly clear. You need to be transformed by the renewal of your minds, and that renewal comes by way of the word of God. And look at what takes place here in our text. Most of these believers are brand new Christians. They they were living their lives in Antioch. And as we begin the text in verse 19, they haven't heard of Christ yet. And then these believers come speaking of Jesus, and they come to saving faith. And then Barnabas and Saul come and spend a year with them teaching the word of God. And what is the result? What is the result? Those who were earlier caught up in the ways of this world, they are called Christians. Only a year earlier, their lives looked like everyone else's life in this world. But it was because of their dedication to the word of God, it was because of this this time given over to teaching and learning that they were sanctified so that they looked like Christ. These believers were transformed by the word of God and by his spirit. It's beautiful. Here they reflect Christ only a year later because of the word of God and the work of God in them. Well, again, this is what it looks like for us to be in the world but not of it. When the world looks upon us, we should reflect Christ to them. It should be our study, our discipleship according to the word of God that should conform us into the image of Christ so that we glorify Christ in this world. 
You see, that is the aim of all of our teaching and learning. It is to glorify the name of Jesus Christ with our lives in this world. It is to reflect him in all that we say and do. And that is what we see right here in Acts chapter 11. Well, there's one more aspect now about their lives that we need to look at, and it's found in the final four verses. Let's consider finally their devotion. Their devotion. We're told in the final verses of our text that there were these prophets that corresponded to the apostolic era and they come down to Jerusalem and one of them in particular his name is Agabus he tell he foretells by the Holy Spirit that there is going to be a famine over the whole world and so he delivers this word of warning to the church and the way that the church responds again is another aspect of how we are in this world but not of it And notice this, that word of warning that came by way of that prophet, it was just that. It was just a word of warning. I find it very interesting and instructive that they are simply told there will be a famine. God could have told Agabus and tell them to do this. Here's how they are to respond. Do this, do that. Here's how to handle this matter. But he doesn't. He simply says there will be a famine. And then he leaves it to the church to wrestle through together in light of God's word how to handle it. And that's where we get to see their devotion. So how do we see their devotion? Well, in their response, we see that these believers demonstrate their devotion to Jesus in three ways. Remember, Jesus says, whatever you have done to one of the least of these, my brothers, you have done it to me. And so we see the church here responding to that word of warning by loving Christ, by loving his body. First, they demonstrate their love for Jesus in their care for the universal church. They think beyond themselves. Here they consider others more important than themselves when they determine to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. No doubt it would have been easy to think of themselves first. But instead, we see their initial response is to think of others, to put put the needs of others ahead of them. This kind of generosity can only exist when one is confident and sure of the promises of God to provide for his people. It is because these believers have been now grounded in the word of God that when they hear of this famine, they think of others first and not of themselves. From one perspective, it would have been wise, if you will, for this local body to put away some for themselves since they, and they too would endure the same famine. But from another, this decision is a tangible way in which the body is simply entrusting themselves to God while doing good. They say the Lord will provide for our needs. Let's Put the needs of others before our own. But now we need to see that there's a balance. There's a wisdom demonstrated in their love for God's people. Second, they demonstrate their love for Jesus in their care of the local body as well. You see, they are caring for the universal church and the local church in their response. So how do we see it in this text? Well, look at how they operate here as a body. Because they do so with a wisdom that is clearly from above. First of all, they 
decide together to meet the needs of their brothers throughout Judea. The text tells us that they determined together to meet this need. As a congregation, they came together and said, yes, we want to step up to the plate and we want to help our brothers and sisters throughout Judea. But then notice this, this shouldn't escape our notice. Having made this decision together, they leave it to each individual to carry out, to decide how they will contribute to this corporate need. And so we see that even while the church is caring for the needs of the church abroad, they are doing so without neglecting the needs of their own local body. There is much wisdom and prudence in their devotion, and this devotion displays an abundant love. The kind of love that is considering the needs of the body worldwide, but one that is not doing so at the expense of the local body as well. And that's why here there's no coercion, there's no manipulation, there's no uh, guilt trip or anything like that to get people to give. Instead, they decide together, and then they leave it to each individual to consider how they might give as they are able Two texts come to mind. Galatians 6 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we, do not, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of God. Similarly, in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul is encouraging the church because of their generosity. He already sees how generous these group of people are to meet the needs of others. And so he writes, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here in our text, we see the devotion of God's people to Christ. And we see it in the way that they care for the body universally and locally. uh, These people have laid up Christ's words within their hearts. Whatever you have done to one of the least of these, my brothers, you have done to me. They show their devotion to Christ by loving the church worldwide and right where they are at. This, again, is another aspect of what it looks like to be in the world but not of it. This is why Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We began this morning by considering how what we see here in this text is actually an answer to Christ's earlier prayer. He prayed that the church would be in the world but not of it. And we see here in our text how that prayer is being answered at one time and in one space. Here is words again. He said, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Again, we see this prayer being answered here in Acts chapter 11. But think of how Jesus goes on to pray 
in John 17. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's praying for you, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that I have given, that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. We see in our text the way in which Jesus' prayer was later answered for those who believed. But you need to believe that that prayer was about you also. That in his earthly ministry, and even now in his place of exaltation, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying that you would not be taken out of this world, but that you would be kept while in this world, because he is sending you into this world to glorify his name. You are to be in the world, but not of it. And so his call to us is to be faithful, to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Here we see what that looks like at one time and in one place here in the word of God. But let us remember that even as we see what this looks like in the word of God, Jesus Christ is on high and he is praying the same for us. And let us remember that his prayers are powerful. Do you remember how Jesus prayed for Peter? Before Peter denied Jesus three times, Peter prayed, or Jesus prayed for him, and he said, But Peter, I have prayed for you. And when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. Peter turned again because Jesus prayed for him. Well, brothers and sisters, Jesus prayed for you. And he prayed for you that you might walk faithfully as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ to be in this world, but not of it, and to live for the glory and praise of his name. So let us pray together. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for your word, which has shown us this morning what it looks like to be in the world but not of it. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have showed us how you have prayed and continue to pray for us. And Lord Jesus, we rely upon your grace to us. We rely upon your work in us by your Holy Spirit working here with your word. And Lord, we ask that you would work in us that we might be in this world but not of it. We do pray that according to your own prayer on our behalf that you would keep us from the evil one, that you would help us to live as those who do not belong to this world but who belong to you. And we pray that we would receive your commission that you have sent us into this world And Lord, as our Savior, the one who gave himself up for us, we pray that our lives might be offered up to you, that you might use them 
for your own glory. And so, Lord, we pray that as a church here in Black Forest, that you would teach us how to be in this world but not of it, how to seek first your kingdom in all the relationships of life. So we pray this now in Christ's name. Amen.